following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Good morning, everyone. Our call to worship, as you can see on screen, is from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. We're going to turn from uh, a modern telling of the story of the the Magi to the one that the earliest Christians told each other. Unfortunately, this one doesn't have really nice pictures. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? We observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Well, good morning again, everybody. Um, And thanks to all of you who've participated in the service so far in various ways. Um, I want to start out by saying a word of sincere thanks to all of you who have reached out to me this week um, after finding out in the middle of the sermon last week um, that I had COVID. Um, Everyone who emailed me or texted me or called or sent me direct messages on Instagram. I just want to say thank you. That really did mean a lot to me. 
Um, I'm feeling fine. I've been almost completely symptom-free for several days now. Uh, I had a very mild case in the first place, which I attribute to the fact that I was uh, fully vaccinated. Um, although it does seem clear now that this Omicron variant is a little bit less severe than the Delta, um, which truly is good news since it is so much more contagious. Um, and by the way, when you hear that in the news that it's less severe, don't let that be a reason for complacency. Um, if a variant is half as severe but spreads to twice as many people, I mean, I'm not a math person, but but maybe you are. Um, and you definitely want to have a vaccine and a booster in place uh, before you catch this disease. So uh, please do go and take care of that if you haven't already um, soon. But anyway, um, I, I felt a lot of love this week. Uh, so thank you very much. I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, let me talk for just a couple of minutes about why we're remote like this. Dan touched on it earlier uh, in the announcements, but I want to explain it a little bit more detail for people who maybe are just listening to the podcast or who have questions about it. Um, really, there are two reasons. The first is simply to do our part in slowing down the spread uh, of this disease. I probably don't have to tell you the numbers, but for me, it's helpful to think about the numbers. Um, and so I'll say that in early December uh, in Monroe County, our average number of new cases per day was starting to hit 500. And that was, that was a lot for us. Um, as of Friday, two days ago, we had an average number of daily new cases that it was uh, 2,300. Um, and one day we had peaked um, at over 4,000. And actually, there's no guarantee that we've peaked yet. We don't know if the numbers are going to still keep going up. So um, the first reason is everything that we can do as a community to slow that down, we want to do it. This is about loving our neighbors as it has been for almost two years now. Um, but the second reason is a practical reason. And it, maybe it hit me, especially when I uh, went down with this disease on um, you know, Saturday last week. I think it's very likely, given the transmissibility of this variant, that COVID is going to affect uh, other people who make our services happen uh, in person. I mean, it, it happened to me, obviously. Um, the reality is that in the, in the post-lockdown you know, quarantine era, Artisan still runs basically on a skeleton crew on Sunday mornings. We have usually just one greeter, um, we have a greatly reduced musicians list right now. We have our children's volunteers and our tech crew. That's pretty much everybody who makes the services happen on Sundays when we're in person. And you can probably imagine that just one of them getting COVID and having to isolate um, could throw our whole system into disarray. And I don't need to tell you how this happens because you have seen it happen in schools and in restaurants and small businesses around town. Uh, it's just a stress that we don't need, especially when we do have this option. And so um, for those reasons, we are going to be remote for the month of January. January is a five Sunday month. So uh, today being the second one, this we're, we're anticipating four weeks of being remote. There are um, many reasons to believe um, that this will be a short-term adaptation for us. Uh, I am not an epidemiologist, but um, I do think that we have reason for optimism that uh, we'll be back in the sanctuary together on February 6th. Um, and uh, the leadership team is going to keep an eye on everything, of course, but that is our plan right now. Um, so 
Let's dive in here. I want to start with an icebreaker. This is one of the things that I actually really loved about being on Zoom with all of you through um, so much of last year. It's that I get to ask you questions and you get to type in answers in Zoom and we, we can kind of uh, collaborate together on things. And so here's the uh, icebreaker question. What is your favorite middle of the summer activity? As we sit here in early January, what is your favorite middle of the summer activity? Go ahead and type it into the chat. People are already doing that. Kayaking, traveling, uh, reading in a hammock. Oh, I love that one. A couple of swimming people, uh, running, picking stuff from the garden, swimming, 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 a lot of swimming going on in the summer. Uh, I can't even keep up with the chat. This is so awesome. Um, vacation in the Adirondacks, bike ride to Pittsburgh, dairy, going to Ontario Beach Park, drinking wine on the deck, reading with my feet in a lake. Oh my goodness. These are so, so great. Sitting on the porch, friend vacation in Virginia. Oh, Clara says acting. Um, I love it. Um, these are such great activities, <laughs> um, but it's going to be a while, everybody. Sorry to tell you. Um, keep dreaming. <laughs> Um, so I used to play ultimate Frisbee at Ellison park in the summers. Uh, people who play this game just call it ultimate because Frisbee is a trademark of the Whammo corporation. Um, so we just call it ultimate, but you would know it as ultimate Frisbee. Um, and I would play in a league, at, uh, played in Ellison park in the summers. A bunch of us uh, from artisan did this in the early days of the church, actually. And, um, one thing I remember about doing that is that at the end of the season, you know, say mid-August, it would start to get dark um, at the end of the games, especially if they ran long. And, the, you know, the temps were still in the 80s, but it was getting dark early enough that, you know, it would sometimes interfere with, with play. And I would always have this, um, this pang of uh, sadness at that realization that the days were getting shorter. Because for me, the worst part of winter by far, it's not the cold, it's not the snow, it's the darkness. And uh, not just the short days, but in Rochester, also the cloudiness. I tell you, I never miss my home state of Maine more than in the middle of February. Um, because it, it's cold and snowy, but uh, you get sun in the middle between the storms. And uh, sometimes in Rochester, as you know, we go uh, weeks, um, it feels like, without seeing a sunny day. We had a few this week, though. I was really grateful to look out my window and see them. Um, you know, I, I, um, I opened up my laptop in my little isolation room this week uh, to work on the sermon. Now, thankfully, my isolation room is a spare bedroom in our house, and it has two windows that, you know, that face roughly south. And so there was plenty of sunlight in my room, but I noticed that at this moment when I had opened my laptop, that it was dark enough outside that I could turn on my light switch in the room. Um, not so dark that I needed the light switch yet, but you know how it is. Like you can, you turn it on and you notice that it's brighter in the room. Y'all, it was 3.38 PM <laughs> when I turned that light switch on. And I was just like, oh, man, I got to thinking about it because, um, you know, the winter solstice already happened. The days are getting longer officially now. They've been getting longer for 18 days now. That's like um, almost two full COVID quarantines. 
of the days getting longer or, or 3.4 days of uh, COVID quarantines under the new rules, or I don't understand the new rules very well. Um, anyway, <laughs> the point is this, just because the days are getting longer doesn't mean that the days are long, not yet. Do you see what happened? There's a switch that happened. Um, it, it's a, is that a geological phenomenon? or an astronomical phenomenon? I don't know. The point is the the earth is tilting toward the sun again, right? And the sun is always up there. Um, It's behind the clouds sometimes, but you can't necessarily see it as clearly as you want to, but it never stops being there. And the the earth is tilting toward it. And the, the, the effects of that, a warm season and long days of sunlight, we are going to see that again but not until later. Just because the days are getting longer doesn't mean that the days are long yet. And I actually think this is a deep spiritual truth. Um, it's It's a seasonal spiritual truth, not just in the sense of spring and summer and winter and fall, but in the seasons of the church calendar. Um, The season on the church calendar that we are now officially in is called the season after Epiphany. Um, Traditionally, the day of Epiphany is observed on January 6th, um, but we use those lectionary texts from Epiphany today, even though it's now the 9th. And as you heard in both the children's moment and in the gospel reading, Epiphany is the story of the Magi, the the wise men from the East who come to pay homage to Jesus as a child, right? So you get the the star and you get the expensive gifts and you get the camels and, uh, you know, a lot of the scenery that is commonly included in nativity sets, even though this event probably took uh, place would have taken place um, quite a bit later than um, the other events of the nativity. It kind of gets all put together visually. But theologically, Epiphany is about the revelation of the gospel message to the Gentiles. You know, the, the Messiah came to the, the Jews, the, the chosen people, the Israelites. And the Magi, these wise men from the East, were definitely not good observant Jews. I love how Barbara Brown Taylor, in that story that Pastor Jesse read, um, kind of elaborates and imagines some of the things about that. But even though they were not good observant religious Jews, Jesus was for them too. And so Epiphany, um, kind of symbolized by those, those wise men from the East, It's a day when we celebrate the fact that God's good news is not just for a select few people, but in fact is for everyone. And you can see um, Psalm 72, one of the lectionary passages that's assigned for today that we didn't read in service. It has a beautiful description of what this good news looks like for all people. It looks like justice and righteousness and prosperity for the poor, and it looks like peace. So Epiphany is a holy day on the Christian calendar. But it's also, as you know, a word that's used to describe having a momentary realization, a seeing the light, if you will, right? 
the the comic book light bulb over the head moment is an epiphany. And the word itself, it literally just means revealing, which I think is really interesting, especially because in Greek, it's a synonym of the word apocalypse, which also just means revealing or uncovering or revelation, right? It's not necessarily about the sky turning red and, you know, comets hitting the earth. It, it just means that, you know, new stuff has come to light. And so in that sense, um, epiphany is not a day of the year, but it's an idea. It's a, a change of mind, a realization. By the way, speaking of words that have different literal meanings than the kind of collectively understood religious meanings that they have today, repentance is one of those words. Repent uh, in the Greek, it simply means to change your mind. And we've made it all about behavior. So you have to have an epiphany, a realization. You have to have a repentance, a, a change of mind to move forward in your spiritual life. But the thing is that either of those things is kind of useless on their own. Because what really matters is what happens next after you have the realization, after you have the change of mind. Does that translate into other changes in your life? And when enough of us come around these ideas, does it translate into changes in our society and in our world? And does the, does the planet start to look like the good uh, creation that God wanted it to be? And something else that occurs to me, and this is, this is connected to the idea of the solstice already happening, but us not being able to see it just yet or notice it just yet, is that sometimes our epiphanies come after the fact. They, you know, they're, they're unnoticed until later. Let me tell you what I mean. Have you, have you ever had a moment where you realized that something in your life had changed? And you didn't realize that it had changed until after the change had taken place, right? So maybe like a relationship has gone bad and you look up and think, oh, this has been bad for a while. Or maybe it went good. It was bad and now it's gotten better. And when did that happen? Or maybe you realize that your job that you've been at for years has been slowly sucking your soul away from you. And it's been happening for a while, but you're just now realizing it. There must have been a moment when that started. Or maybe you, you realize that you're no longer angry at your mom for how she treated you when you were little. And that anger that you've carried with you so long uh, started to melt away at a certain point, but you didn't notice it until months or years later. And then you can look back and see it. Because once you, once you think about it, you think, oh, that's when it started. It's when Dave from accounting joined the team, right? <laughs> um, or it's when we had that really special holiday together. You know what I'm talking about. I think the spiritual life is like that too. God's work is slower than we want it to be. God's work is slower than we want it to be.
this series that we are starting today is called Gradual Light. And it's all about the idea that even after the important change has occurred, even after the, the pivotal moment has taken place, the results of that can take a while to see. And I guess to start us off in this idea, I want you to think about this in a couple of ways. And I want myself to think about it in these ways too. The first is to realize that that moment has taken place. The very first words of scripture that were read in the service today are from Isaiah 60, and they are epiphany words. It said, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The light has come. The fact that you can't see it all the time doesn't change that. The fact that it's cloudy or nighttime does not mean that the sun is no longer there. The fact that the days are still very short and we have to turn our light switches on at 3.38 p.m. does not mean that the earth is not tilting toward the sun already. And so one of the things that I encourage you to try to do if you're, if you're, if you're feeling overwhelmed by the darkness is to try to act as if it is true, knowing that it is true that the light has come, even if you don't feel it, acting as if it is true. That's the first thing. Knowing and acting, even if you don't feel. But the second thing is I think a really subtle spiritual movement, but one that is so important. It has come to be really, really important to me over the last several years of my own life. And I, I know that I've shared this concept with you before in ways, and I want to apply it to this as well. And it's simply the concept of noticing, right? So when you think about that relationship that has suddenly improved, and it's not actually sudden, right? Or the, the job that you have realized is terrible and it started at some date in the past and you didn't notice it. All those examples I gave before, can you apply that idea to the spiritual life and not only act as if and know uh, cognitively that the light has come, but intentionally make an effort to notice when that change took place. The point of this is that I actually think you can probably start to feel it sooner. Not just by acting as if, and not just by, you know, having kind of a cognitive intellectual experience of spirituality, but by being intentional about looking for that light that you know in your head is there, even if you don't feel it in your heart. Where can you notice God's light in the world around you? I think that's an important question. And it's a question that has infinite answers, like so many of the best questions do.
So I want to leave you with this quotation from St. Chrysostom. He was a fourth century uh, preacher known as the golden mouthed preacher. And um, his writings are really beautiful. He said, those who visit a doctor do not complete their journey simply by arriving there. They must also learn the remedy and apply the medicines. We too, having reached this point, need to do the same. And as we think about the dramatic ways that medical issues are impacting our life, our life right now, and as we think about the idea of light gradually increasing much more slowly than probably we want it to, I encourage you to remember that those who visit a doctor do not complete their journey simply by arriving there. They must also learn the remedy and apply the medicines. So may you know that the light is growing, if slowly. May you even begin to see and notice it. And may you learn the remedy and apply the medicines of God's good news. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.